I'll talk to anybody. If you have a problem with me, I'll talk to you anytime, anyplace, anywhere. You can bring a hundred people and I'll debate you by myself. Now, are there jokes I've made that I wish I didn't and are perceived differently now? Of course, but I've been doing this for 20 years. Some I maybe I wish I didn't do that, but I know my character and our intent has always been to make people laugh, period. Dave Portnoy, founder, president, or rather El Presidente, as he calls himself a Barstool Sports, the digital brand and news site for all things sports and pop culture, brought to you by the common fan for the common fan. Dave is chief of all content, but his candid emergency press conferences, his very public opinions on past employees, and his unpredictable business moves make him a fascinating character for the job, and unlike anybody else. Scrappy Beginnings built a following around Barstool, not online, but actually in good old-fashioned print, which included Dave himself driving all around Boston delivering the publication. That was back in 2003. Dave's approach, aside from the sheer power of will, was appealing to sports fans in ways that major publications and networks simply weren't, making Barstool a mainstay in the market. Fast forward nearly 20 years, and Barstool is on the bleeding edge of digital content. They boast over 50 podcasts with several top performers on podcast charts. Last time I checked, Barstool's Caller Daddy was number one on Apple Podcasts. One of their newest achievements is the Barstool Sportsbook mobile app, creating an easy-to-use sports gambling experience in the palm of your hand. We'll discuss what the process has been like getting mobile sports gambling available countrywide over the last year. We'll also discuss how Dave's pizza reviews became a thing, his fundraising of $37 million to save small business, the story behind interviewing President Trump, and a whole lot more. Hey, hey, and welcome. This is the Ben Shapiro Show Sunday special. This show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. It's time to stand up to big tech. Protect your data at expressvpn.com slash Ben. Just a reminder, we'll be doing some bonus questions at the end with Dave. The only way to get access to that part of the conversation is to become a member. Head on over to dailywire.com, become a member. You'll have access to all of the full conversations with every one of our awesome guests. Dave Portnoy, thanks so much for stopping by. Thanks for having me. All right, so let's start with your business philosophy, since I think that you're one of the more unique guys in business today. You have this big crossover audience. A lot of conservatives love you. A lot of people on the left love you. But it seems like your business philosophy is generally, I don't give a crap but you run this incredibly successful business. So what exactly is your business philosophy? If I had to narrow it down into a quick sentence, probably follow my gut. Um, that's what I've been doing since I started it. Uh, and it's worked so far. So I hear a lot of times people like, what are you doing this for? What are you doing that? Right? We just follow our gut. It's sometimes right, sometimes not. But there isn't some grand business plan or philosophy that you know, we're following. We're quick to pivot when we think something you know, needs to be changed or follow new trends. But we just follow our guts. That's really simple, but that's kind of what it is. I mean, that does take a, a fair bit of stones to be able to, to do that because you've been in a bunch of situations, pretty obviously very focused on situations in which you've had to pivot super quickly, uh, whether it is with, you know, call me daddy uh, or whether it is with a particular business strategy where you're in a controversy. So what is the, is that just, you just wake up that morning, you're like, I'm making a call and we're doing it? Yeah, I mean, things maybe not as instantaneous as that, but once we decide to do something, we really do it. And it doesn't always work. And, and obviously you have to know when something's not working and probably, like, all right, maybe this isn't the right, the right avenue, the right path or whatever it is, but it's just believing in yourself. And I also grow, that's my personality. Um, even to start a business like this, you kind of have to be a risk taker and willing to put yourself out there. And then over the years, you know, Barstool has been wildly successful. Uh, you know, I didn't start it to get it where it is. Like, I just want to do my own thing. And then at some point, when you have enough success and people are chirping you or being like, don't do this, don't do that. It's like, what does this person know from the cheap seats? It's, you know, I'm the one who got us here. So I'm going to continue just to follow what I think is the right thing to do. So for folks who don't know the Barstool story, how did this company get started in the first place? Because I have been aware for, of it for a while, but it was around a long time before I was aware of it, actually. I would say that it's gained a lot of its popularity in, what, last, last seven to ten years, maybe? Yeah, we go through cycles. So we've been around, I think, 17 years now. It started as a newspaper. It was a sports gambling and, like, fantasy sports newspaper that I would hand out outside subway stations in Boston. Um, and again, I never even, at the time, I never thought we would be online or anything like that. So it, it, it isn't like this is what I thought the company would be. But it was a four-page gambling rag, and it slowly morphed over the years from more gambling and fantasy to more men's lifestyle. And now I would say it's, you know, both. We have a lot of female content as well. But it's looking at life not too seriously. That's the goal um, from both a male and female perspective. Okay, so how did you decide that you were going to 
start just doing a newspaper that you printed out and then handed out at subway stations in Boston? So I, I, I wanted to start a business. So I always knew I didn't want to work for somebody else. I had a sales job out of college and I had, I don't know, three possible, I guess, business ideas that I came up with. One was this sports gambling newspaper. The other one was a scouting company for high school athletes who are getting recruited and maybe aren't division one athletes, but looking for a place to play and a software that could connect scouts. And the third was used furniture. As crazy as that sounds, I was always like, hey, college kids throw all their furniture away. Maybe if I had a huge warehouse, drive around, get the furniture for free. And this is like a different era. The internet was just kind of getting going. So let people buy this furniture that I'm getting for free online. So it was always a business perspective. It's just like, which one did I think was most realistic and easiest to get started? And for whatever reason, I landed on Barstool. That is hysterical because I do remember being in law school and having the exact same idea because every year at the end of the year, you'd see these people taking 100%. furniture and just tossing it directly yes. out on the curb. Like, hey, that's free stuff, right? Free stuff, warehouse it, let people buy it online. You have something. So yeah, it, it, what I graduated was like kind of the dot-com like boom like the economy was going great and ideas like that were coming out everywhere so those are the things I looked at okay and then you take this newspaper and how does it morph online and become bigger so I, I used to hand out the newspaper outside subway stations wake up like I don't know 4 a.m. Um, hand it out go back work do sales I was doing it all one day I handed it to a guy at South Station in Boston Financial District and this is probably, we started 2004, this is maybe 2007, and he was moving to New York City. He's like, I love this, this newspaper. If I move to New York, I want to be able to read it. So if I build you a website, will you put the newspaper on the website? It's like, if you want to do it for free, knock yourself out. This guy, his name was Ian White, ended up being the uh, CTO for Business Insider. I got super lucky. So he built the website. I started putting articles and things like, very quickly, that became obvious that would be the future of the business. I could scale it a lot faster. It was growing a lot faster. And that's where you know the internet side of what we did came from. But at that point, if you said we're a blog, people would have looked at you like 10 heads. They'd be like, what is a blog? Never heard of it. So in a second, I want to ask you about the sports side of the business and kind of your passion personally about sports. First, if 2021 has taught us anything so far, you need to be using a VPN. Why would you trust the tech bros with your data, with your information? Doesn't matter what your politics are or who you voted for, everyone should have the right to express themselves freely. Sadly, the big tech monopoly has instead opted for silencing tactics and censorship to fight back against big tech's control of the internet. I personally use ExpressVPN. You ever wondered how those free to access tech giants make all their money? Well, they track your searches, your video history, everything you click on. By building a profile on you and then selling off your sensitive data, they make their money. When you use the ExpressVPN app on your computer or phone, you anonymize much of your online presence by hiding your IP address. It makes your activity more difficult to trace and sell to advertisers. What's more, ExpressVPN encrypts 100% of your network data to protect you from eavesdroppers and cyber criminals. What I like most is how easy it is to use. It takes just one click to protect all of your devices. That's why ExpressVPN is rated number one by CNET and Wired. Every single human should be using a VPN because you want to protect your own internet privacy. Revoke big tech's right to your data. Secure your internet with the VPN I trust for online protection. Visit expressvpn.com slash Ben. That's EX. P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Ben. Get three extra months free with my exclusive link. Go to expressvpn.com slash Ben right now to learn more. All right, so let's talk about your interest in sports. So two of the three businesses you mentioned off the top were both sports-oriented. One was a scouting business, and the other was what eventually became known as Barstool. So what was your interest in sports going all the way back? What I mean, you're from New England. So. Right, so I mean, I was a diehard, everything Boston sports fan. Played my whole life. I lived in an era growing up in Boston. Like Dan Shaughnessy is a local sports writer. And they, they and WEI was the local radio station. And they had a hammerlock. I mean, a hammerlock on how sports fans got their information. And to be honest, like a Dan Shaughnessy hates the Red Sox. He covers them. He hates them. Ron Borges covered the Patriots. He hates them. So everything was lecturing. And, and a lot of fans didn't like it. I was a huge Bill Simmons fan. And he kind of modernized or changed the way the game worked. Like, in the internet allowed him to have a voice. But, like, the Boston Globe didn't hire Bill Simmons. Like, nope, not right. Shows you how crazy they are. So it, it there was this this opening, there was this window basically for a different type of voice to reach sports fans, and I thought maybe we could fill it with Barstool Sports. That's a really interesting take because I hadn't really thought about the fact that there has always been this sort of gap between how 
many in the elite culture want to cover sports and what the fan actually wants to see from sports. I remember reading Simmons in the early days and reading his blog. And forget politics. He's a terrific writer and really talented guy. And, and the way he covered the Celtics, I'm a Celtics fan too, growing up in L.A. And the way he covered the Celtics, this is the way I want to hear people talk about sports. He was revolutionary in that regard. I still think the best probably pure writer when he was on his own. He was on, I think, Digital City Boston and just letting it, you know, fly. Oh, yeah. And it was excellent. We tried to get him involved in early Barstool. We got nowhere with it. But it, it did, there was an appetite for it. And the established guard, whether it be EEI, the Boston Globe, was so arrogant, almost in the way that they covered sports, they just, they weren't open to new ideas. Eventually, you know, people like myself started eating them because they just didn't, they didn't pay attention to it. I wonder if you feel like that gap is is still there because it feels like as Barstool grows and as alternative sports media grows, there's still this sort of ESPN out there that, that really is, you know, covering sports in, in a much more almost staid way. You have to stay between these lines. You're not allowed to talk about sports the way a fan would talk about sports. You have to cover sports the way a journalist would cover sports. And you get that also uh, with regard to, you know, Sports Illustrated, which I subscribed to from the time mm -hmm. I was a kid. And then when I was in my mid-20s, I canceled it because I said, I'm not even reading about sports anymore. I'm just reading about the kind of political takes of the particular sports writers. I, I kind of want to just read about the sports. Yeah, that's certainly been a huge issue lately, obviously. You know, ESPN, I think, is trying to. They go back and forth. They're wavering on where they land, and it is a delicate dance that they're trying to do. Um, but there's more outlets like us. Like, there's no doubt that our success has been because of the fact that the other companies were so stringent and didn't want to change. But I think in a lot of ways, Barstool has forced some change with that because we've been able to you know, capture such a huge market share. Uh, but yeah, I'd agree with the overall premise. People don't always want politics and sports together. Yes, yeah, so I was going to ask you a little bit more about that. So uh, obviously we've seen that, that the sports had gotten overtly political in a way that they weren't when I was a kid. There were always sports figures who, who were political. I mean, I remember Charles Barkley posing in slave garb on the cover of Sports Illustrated. I remember Michael Jordan in the 90s saying Republicans wear sneakers too. So there was always like a touch of sure. athletes will talk politics, but it never entered sort of the field of play until the last 10 years when you had people doing hands up, don't shoot, running onto a, a football field, or you had Kaepernick kneeling on the sidelines, sure. whether you like it or you don't like it, uh, or whether you have on in the NBA actual labeling of the sidelines or labeling of the jerseys. It seems like politics, which started off as political, you know, athletes are just like everybody else. They can say what they want to say on politics. It moved from that to, no, we as leagues are overtly going to now push forward a certain number of agenda items. And if you don't like those agenda items, then I guess the sport isn't for you. I mean, it feels actively alienating to a lot of folks. Yeah. You know, my view on that, I don't, I have no problem at, at a point with politics being involved in sports because at some level, you, you where it, it's like where do you draw the line? Because if you even look at like what was it, the Berlin Olympics where you know they, they put the hand up like that's great like that's Hitler's so they're, they're they're making a statement that I agree with. So it, it it where is the line now? The leagues how I view the leagues I don't think the leagues are looking at it as the, we're doing what we morally think is right. I've never thought that they're doing it as. How can we make the most money, appease our fan base, or do whatever? Like Goodell, who's been back and forth, who I don't care for. There's not, there's nobody on earth who can convince me he makes any decision based on, you know, this is morally the right thing to do. You can agree morally whether something is right or a protest is right, but I just don't buy that with the leagues. They're doing it on what they think is best for their bottom line, and that. You know, they'll find out in the end, I guess, whether that was right or wrong. So I may as well ask you now, what's the story with you and Goodell? Obviously. Uh... Well, I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> so the Goodell story goes back. Uh, I'm from Boston. I'm a Patriot fan, diehard Patriot fan, uh, diehard Tom Brady fan. So Deflategate, in which he was accused of cheating and deflating footballs, which they never proved or came close to proving, we defended Tom. And we defended him at every step. And I had more information, I feel like, Goodell had. But when they suspended him for four games, we went and protested. And hand, myself and three other Patriot fans who worked for me handcuffed ourselves to each other at NFL headquarters and demanded to sit with Roger. He did say he'd speak with the media at any point. We got arrested, spent a night in jail for that. That began, began what I would say is one of our true rivalries. <laughs> and now... If Roger Goodell had any self-awareness, he could have poked light at this and made a joke out of this, but he didn't. 
and it continued to escalate and continued to escalate. I got dragged out of the Super Bowl. Um, it was Patriots, Rams, Super Bowl. I bought tickets, and at halftime, they literally had about 10 security guards drag me out in handcuffs because they banned me from the Super Bowl. And, and it, it just continued. For example, during COVID, they had a charity event, and they're like, hey, whoever bids the most will get to watch a game with Roger Goodell in his basement. So I spent 250 grand, I won the auction, and they nullified that. So, I mean, it's just been one event after another with him. Uh, we're banned from all NFL events, and we have a great relationship with the Patriots as well. We, we, had, we sell this picture with his face, the clown, which actually Trump stole from me. They sell it, it's like the clown knows. Um, so we had 70,000 towels the first time that Roger Goodell showed up at Gillette Stadium. The entire stadium's holding them. Uh, it's just been an ongoing rivalry uh, that started with the Flategate. That's awesome. So Belichick or Brady, who's responsible for this success? Damn, what a question. Obviously, Brady just won the Super Bowl, so that it's given him an advantage. I don't think you can pick one or the other. I think they're both the best to ever do it. I've said and I maintain if I could only have one, I would take the coach. I think head football coach in the NFL is the most important position anywhere. Brady went to a great situation. Like, I think if Belichick coached that team with that talent, they win every game. So they're both the best, but gone to head, I would take Belichick before Brady. So your sites, uh, well, what's the split in terms of the audience, in terms of male-female? Like, I think it's probably down? like... 70-30 or 65-35 at this point. So, so do you think that's just because of the content or also just because of the attitude? Because obviously you're just like a let it fly kind of dude and the, and the site reflects that. Yeah, well, I mean, it started as a men's site. We were talking about it. The, the idea behind Barcel Sports, the name of it was what guys would talk about a bar watching sports. So that was entertainment, girls, sports, you name it. So it was a bunch of guys doing it. Now, we hired a girl early and actually had a sister site called Stula La. So we had Barstool Sports, Stula La. The problem with Stula La was the girl we hired became a superstar. Um, she was like the first really YouTube internet sensation. Her name is Jenna Marble. She has like a statue in Madame Tussaud. Like that is how big she became. And we couldn't find somebody good enough to replace her. But that's why it started primarily as, you know, men. There are a lot of conservatives who worry that there's a, an attempt to sort of water down uh, what men ought to be or what men ought to do in our society. There's an attempt to censor men, uh, that men are sort of being told that they need to sit down and shut up and their interests take a back seat, that there's a sort of generalized feminization of society. What do you make of the critique? I think that is true, but with all critiques like that, they're almost social media echo chambers to me. Like that, that is 100% true. And one of the things with me that I always find fascinating is if you ask most people off the street, like, what is Dave politically? They're going to be like, he's very conservative. That's not true. People listen to like what I actually say. But that sentiment of what you said, it, people view Barstool and they just put me in a bucket. Now, we've done events that we used to do these like rays for lack of better words. And we, they were, we have DJs and we have girls scantily dressed. They wear like booty shorts and we have protesters come and scream at these girls, girls, feminists, girls who identify themselves as feminists being like, you shouldn't go to that. They're sexist or this, that. And then we'd have these same girls who say, you know what? You're sexist because you're telling me how to think and what I can laugh at and what I can enjoy. As a woman, I have the right to make that decision. So there is that element, but I think the majority, like, and I've said this many times, I, don't, I hate both extremes. I really do. I hate the extreme left. I hate the extreme right. They should be thrown on a battlefield and let them just, like, kill each other to death. Because I do, what Charles Barkley said the other day on TV, he's like, I think the majority of people get along I believe that. I truly believe that. You have these extremes. But I do agree with what you're saying. Um, the watered down, the culture. I, I firmly believe, and people have said this, I have no, no problem with saying, like, a girl is hot or pretty or sexy. To me, that, you know what? That's Adam and Eve type stuff. Like, that is something. So I don't have a problem with that. That doesn't mean that I don't think that person I just said that could be brilliant and the smartest person in the room. But physical attributes and things like that, you shouldn't just because you say something's pretty, that to me isn't objectifying somebody. That's kind of like science. So in a second, I want to ask you about the, the kind of wave of cancellations that hits the culture, because th this goes to, if you say perfectly obvious things, sometimes you do have to be worried that advertisers will pull uh, or, or stuff like that. So I want to ask you about that in one second. First, 
it's pretty obvious when I don't get a good night's rest. I mean, it really screws with the rest of my day. The good news is it's been a while since this has happened, at least not due to my mattress. Helix Sleep, they make the best mattresses. They've got a quiz. It takes just two minutes to complete. It matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Why would you buy a mattress made for somebody else? With Helix, you're getting a mattress that you know will be perfect for the way you sleep. Everybody's unique. Helix knows that. They have several different mattress models to choose from. They've got soft, medium, and firm mattresses, mattresses that are great for cooling you down if you sleep hot, even a Helix Plus mattress for plus-size folks. So, if you're looking for a mattress, you take the quiz, you order the mattress that you're matched to, the mattress comes right to your door, shipped for free. You don't ever need to go to a mattress store again. Helix is awesome. You don't need to take my word for it. Helix is awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 and also by GQ and Wired Magazine. Just go to helixsleep.com slash Ben. Take that two-minute sleep quiz. They will match you to a customized mattress that will give you the very best sleep of your life. They've got a 10-year warranty. You get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. I'll pick it up for you. If you don't love it, I promise you will because I love my own Helix Sleep mattress. Again, my wife and I took that sleep quiz. They made a mattress just for us, and it is fantastic. Helix is right now offering up to two hundred dollars off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash ben that's helixsleep.com slash ben so let's talk about the fact that if you say anything that is remotely edgy these days there's this deep worry that you're going to get canceled that people online are going to come after you and then they'll come after your advertisers now listen, it happens to us on the show all the time people are constantly you know beating us up this ha- i trend approximately once every three weeks i think is as much yep. as the algorithm will allow me to trend on twitter but at the same time uh, the, the real fear is that eventually these folks will mobilize against advertisers, against paying customers, uh, and then it'll kill your business. So how do you navigate that minefield? It's really hard. Uh, you know, I've, I'm proud that I don't think Barcel has ever really been beholden to which way the wind is blowing, the political climate. If you have a real fan base, which we do when we've cultivated over almost two decades— it allows you to withstand that because I know, and I've known this for a long time, if I went to our readers, who have been a lot of them for a long time, and said, listen, you either have to cater to what the advertisers want or we have to be us, but you may have to pay more and we may have to come up, may buy a T-shirt, pay model. I know what our crowd would say. So it does not bother me that way because our audience is real and we just stay true to ourselves. The second let advertisers dictate what you do or you beholden to them, you lose your voice. You're kind of dead. So that, that's been what's allowed us to stay true, um, basically, to who we are. So one of the things that you've been doing is you're out there really helping out small businesses in a way that nobody else is. And that's been an initiative since COVID. Uh, so what gave you the idea that you were just going to step into the breach and you were going to just help out these small businesses that have been destroyed by COVID? Yeah. So it, it was... T- Towards, I think it was around December when I started this, and basically New York City shut down indoor dining again. And, you know, as somebody who started a business and can certainly identify with how much work it, I mean, Barstool was my work's life. I spent 10 years before we made any money. I just couldn't imagine not having that decision. So as I'm prone to do, I went on a rant and put it on Instagram. Uh, and then somebody challenged me like, hey, Big Mouth, instead of just talking about it, why don't you do something about it? And that was the initiative. It's like, all right, we like to control when we do charity, which we've done a lot of, because I don't necessarily trust everybody that the money is getting directly to who it needs. So we came up with the Barstool Fund. I put 500000 of my own money in, solicited donations from people I know who may be wealthy, whatever, Tom Brady's of the world, Aaron Rodgers, whoever I may have been lucky enough to you know, form relationships, and to our readers said, hey, we're doing this. If you guys have money to donate, any amount helps. And then we simultaneously said, if you're a business and you just need to bridge this gap, because for a lot of the restaurants and bars, it was all small business, but a lot of the restaurant industry, they just need warm weather. You know, they need to be able to open outside and get things going. Solicit, uh, send in a, a reason what you need, and we'll try to help as many people as we can. So I think we raised about $40 million and, and have helped countless businesses. We started doing FaceTime videos by accident. Basically, the first company we helped, the girl, who's Liz Gonzalez, who, who helps go through the emails and submissions, it's like, this person specifically said they're a huge fan of you, Dave. Just surprise them with a call. So I did. And when we gave them the money, their reaction was so overwhelming um, that I knew we had to capture it moving forward because that would drive the donations. And then it just kind of took off. And, you know, it was one of those things. It's so obvious that small business was dying because of COVID and that nothing was being done to help them. It was just common sense. But once you actually see the people and just it's everyday like Americans and how much it meant to get 
it could be $10,000. Like that's what they need just to get over the hump. It, it, that's what drove it. And in a weird way, there's so much crap that was going on in the country and has been for a little bit. This is something that everybody should have been behind no matter what, because it's just, it didn't matter if you were Democrat, Republican, if it was a small business owner, we're just helping you get through this thing. So it, it was finally, I think, something that had a positive message. And even though a lot of people don't like me, even the people who didn't like me got quiet for a little bit because they, they'd wait to come How do you out. argue with that exactly? <laughs> yeah, yeah no, right. I mean, yeah. you personally helped out one of the, uh, one of the, my my favorite kosher restaurant in Chicago, and I saw that online. I was like, "That's the deli. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, Kenny, yeah, Kenny yeah. Ziner over there. Yeah. Excellent, excellent Italian beef. It's uh, so that was that was really. I mean, it was cool to see, and I know I, I can't. Again, you couldn't find a single person who was anti it. It, it did speak to I, I think uh, some broader trends with with the treatment of small business in the country. Uh, I mean, you started a business out of nothing. We started a business out of nothing, and it seemed like for a lot of people who were stumping in favor of we need to shut everything down and we need to keep it shut down forever. There are people now who are saying. We need to keep everything shut down forever. That they just don't understand how small businesses operate or what it means to actually put your life's work into a small business. To them, it's like, okay, well, you lost your business. You just go start a business next year. And it's like, well, that's not how businesses work at all. Correct. And, and I said in my rant, and I do believe this, obviously, it's easier said than done. But if you told me after 10 years, COVID is going to hit and I lose what I built, I would have been like, I'm going to risk my life trying to save this. To me, this is, I don't want to go work for somebody else. I can't really start over. Like you said, it's not that easy. This is my life's work. I've poured everything into it. I want the chance to save it. And, and I said that from the beginning with COVID. And I, you know, as it developed or whatnot, it's not taking anything away from how serious it is or isn't. But I couldn't stand not letting a business owner decide how they want to handle their future. And frankly, in like a restaurant, I know COVID's there. If I want to go into the restaurant, that's up to me. That's how I felt about it. But I just, to not give these people, let them control their own destiny after some of these businesses we helped were around for 40 years, grandfathers, it's it was insane to me and remains insane to me. Well, unless you want to give them money, which we weren't doing. It, it you know, they weren't, nothing was being done. So that combo, I, I just never understood. Well, so what you're talking about in terms of personal autonomy, you can see why conservatives might be uh... A hundred percent. I mean, this is, a, this is a very conservative idea that basically, listen, you get to make your own choices in life. You want to go into that restaurant and risk COVID because you feel like eating there? Go ahead. That would be, that, that's, a, that's a you thing. And if you want to keep your business running, then, then you know, go for it. So there is no doubt that there's things that I'll say that will be conservative. Um, so give I'm, me some on the other side. I want to hear Well, I'm like super socially liberal. So like anything on the social aspect of it, I'm generally in favor, like, you know, gay, gay marriage and things like that, all for it, all let people, if it doesn't affect me, do whatever you so want. you're a libertarian. I am a libertarian. That's okay. exactly what I am. Uh, yeah, socially liberal, financially conservative. So that's where I land. Yeah, join the club, man. I mean, it, well, <laughs> well, to be honest, that's what I'm saying. I think normal people are like, that's how I look at it. Uh, our, our libertarians, mo there's a lot more commonalities. And even like a, an issue, which I don't like to wade into, like Black Lives Matter, for, for example. I think there's a ton of credibility to how African-Americans are treated in this country. You look at the Capitol, I think if those are all black people who are rushing the Capitol, they would have gotten shot. Like, I believe that in my heart. So there's racism here. Now, do I think BLM got taken advantage of? There's issues like, well, I think we're going a little too far with it. Yeah, so nothing's as like black and white, no pun intended there, as it seems. So unfortunately, I think a lot gets politicized and, you know, things that we should be getting along on, we end up not. But there's no doubt libertarian, if I identified, would be what it is. So one aspect of that libertarianism is obviously you have an app now that's a sports gambling app. Yep. Uh, and, uh, and it's getting approved, what, state by state? How does this Correct. process actually work? So, so yeah, sports gambling, exactly like weed, uh, marijuana. It, it, it used to be illegal everywhere except Vegas, and they overturned whatever statute that was and said this is now a state issue. So each state decides whether they want to allow it and how it will be handled and things of that nature. It's getting passed quickly because the states need money because of COVID and all that. So uh, we are involved in this. And as somebody who grew up loving gambling, it's, a, it's like my dream thing to be involved in. So currently, if you went, we have Barcelona Sportsbook. It's legal in Michigan. It's legal in Illinois. And it's legal in Pennsylvania. And soon, probably like eight more states. Okay, so you have all this stuff going on. And then you've got the, the entire podcast sphere. So 
run through how all these podcasts get bolted on because how'd you get up in the podcast space? So podcast is one of the things I missed on my brain. We had a guy, Kevin Clancy, who was doing it years ago. He's like, oh, podcasting. He's like, I don't know how you're going to make money doing that, but good luck. And then slowly uh, that became successful and we started adding more podcasts. We have the biggest sports podcast, part of my take, which is gigantic. Um, we have the biggest hockey podcast, Spitting Chicklets. Then we have like Call Her Daddy, which you mentioned, which is a giant like beast of a podcast for women, um, raunchy, but good. We basically look for unique people and let them just do their thing. Okay, so now I have to ask you to, to walk me through the Call Her Daddy controversy because obviously that one blew up the world. We'll get to that in just one second. First, let's talk about being a responsible human. If you want to be a responsible human, you need life insurance. You got family. They need the income stream if, God forbid, you applause. Well, here's the problem. Finding a good life insurance program, kind of tough. Very often people do it by word of mouth. That is not the smartest way to do it. The smartest way to do it Policy Genius. Policy Genius can help you compare top insurers in one place and save 50% or more on life insurance. Once you find your best option, the Policy Genius team will set up your new policy for you and answer any questions you have along the way. Getting started is super simple. First, you head on over to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much coverage you need and compare quotes to find your best price. Since the licensed agents work for you, not the insurance companies, there's no hassle. If you hit any speed bumps during the application process, Policy Genius will take care of everything soup to nuts. That kind of service has earned Policy Genius a five-star rating across thousands of reviews on Trustpilot and Google. All the benefits of Policy Genius, the comparison tool, the handling of paperwork, the unbiased advice, totally free to use. Go check out Policy Genius today because they will make your life a lot easier. Policy Genius can promise you won't leave their website feeling foolish. Instead, save 50% or more by comparing life insurance quotes. Feel good knowing if something happens, your loved ones will be taken care of. Go to policygenius.com to get started today. Policy Genius. When it comes to insurance, it's nice and really important to get it right. All righty, so the Call Her Daddy controversy. Walk me through that, because that obviously blew up the internet. Yeah, so there were two girls we hired um, together, and they were no names. They had no followings. They had nothing. Uh, and they just started this podcast called Call Her Daddy. I knew who Alex Cooper was, one of the hosts, and I saw her sizzle reel, basically. as like, oh, this is, I haven't seen anything quite like this. Met her, and I basically was like, who made this for you? She's like, I did. It's like, what do you mean? It was super slick. She's, and I'm like, you did the editing, you did the, all of it? She's like, yeah, I taught myself and did all that. Once she said that, it's like, okay, we, we want to bring this over because this isn't just some, you know, idiot doing it. It's somebody who has a plan and what she wants to do. And the thing just blew up. She made us hire her friend, basically, who did it with her, who was at, I think, Merrill Lynch or a finance company. And the thing went enormously big. Now, we hired them each for three-year contracts and paid them each, I think, 70 grand. It got so big, we renegotiated, gave them a new deal. And within a year, they're each making about half a million. They could have been making a ton more if they did this independently. Would, it have, would anybody have known what it is? Who knows? I look at it like a talent, like a sports contract. Like if we sign a rookie or somebody who's nobody knows who they are and they hit 100 home runs at the All-Star break and you're playing for the Red Sox, you can't be like, guess what? I'm going to go play for the Yankees now. you got to wait until your contract's over. They didn't necessarily feel that way. And they started a plan and hatch a plan to basically break the contract with us, go do their own thing. There was this guy from HBO who was involved, who was the boyfriend of Not Alex, the other guy. And it turned into a big, a big he said, she said. It was they were telling their side, I was telling mine. And eventually, the two of them, I offered them a sweetheart deal. It was in the middle of COVID, and we needed them to work because they sell a ton of merch, make a lot of money for the company, and I didn't want to lay anybody off. They got a deal that they could only be offered during COVID times. They could keep the IP, which we owned, and... Um, I shortened their contract. They couldn't agree on signing that, which is insane. Alex wanted to sign it. Sophia did not. We cut a deal with Alex. Sophia went her own way, and that's where it is now. Alex has been wildly successful, um, but it made big news because it was so popular, and I also hijacked the podcast. So they, they stopped doing their work. They, they weren't putting it out, and I had enough, and finally I just went on their feed and I said, hey, this is Dave Portnoy. A lot of their fans are like, who the heck is this guy? And I just said exactly what was happening. Now, my crowd and people who know me, for better or for worse, I'm very blunt and honest. Like, if people who don't like me, they'll never be like, oh, he lied or he's dishonest. They'll just be like, he's a jerk and he's too blunt. So when I say something, people know I'm generally telling the truth. That worked in that 
in that case as well. So it's that kind of stuff where people, where I asked you before, is it like you just make a split second decision? You're like, you know what, I'm just taking over the podcast feed today or? It was a long time coming. I mean, this controversy was months and it just got to the point, something has to be done and I make the decision, decision and I do it. So uh, I want to ask you about the, you know, the, there was this recent controversy where there's a sex tape with you that was released. Third one. Third one, right. So I, I feel like, and, and the stock price took a hit. So first of all, I have to say, you're a very confident person that you've made this many sex tapes. Uh, I, <laughs> something that I enjoy doing, I'm much more careful. They're all very old. So I never dreamed, like, hey, people are going to want to watch me have sex. That was just not something that crossed my mind. So was it just like, one day I'll break this out for the grandkids? Or, or what was the... No, we do it for... It, <laughs> it, 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 okay, to detail, it's like, you know, I spice it up in the bedroom a little bit, but it was meant for just the girl and I and nobody else. Uh, obviously, that's changed. So, um, but yes, anyways. And, anyway, so the, so the question was, the, the, the stock price took a hit because of that. Right. And Why? I mean, again, as you say, this was the third sex tape that came out. It's not like anybody gives a damn. At yeah, this point. who knows? I don't know why that. The only thing I could think is maybe people are super smart on Wall Street, which I don't necessarily think that's always the case. But they're like, oh, this could cause a buying opportunity. Like people are going to see it. It'll go down. We'll rebuy when it goes down. But other than that, I don't know. It's, um, you know, it's two consensual adults having sex. And as far as I know, unless you have evidence to the contrary, we wouldn't be here if people weren't having sex. So it's not like everybody has sex or else we wouldn't be here. So who cares? Uh, that's also the Dave Bournoy. I don't give a crap about much. I very much, and the girl didn't either. I would care very much if the girl cared. That's the only thing I care about because whoever releases this on the internet and we haven't been able to find, I'd like to make an example out of that person. So it stops. They don't think of the, not about me. They're trying to get at me but they don't think of the repercussions of the other person who's a nobody. And that can like severely hurt somebody, a female, if she's like, oh my God, I don't want to be seen like this. So that, that is the part that whoever releases this really doesn't think about at all. So you mentioned a second ago, the, the dudes on Wall Street. Uh, and uh, what did you make of the whole GameStop Robin Hood situation? Because you're pretty vocal about that. Isn't I right? am. I was stunned by it. I lost 700000 on GameStop, or not GameStop, on AMC, but it was the same. Like same They stick, stopped yeah. the trading. I, I didn't even know you could do that. I, I literally didn't know you could just say, hey, you can sell the stock, but you can't buy it. They essentially, essentially tanked the stock price. And nobody will ever convince me. If the shoe was on the other foot and you know the hedge funds and the billionaires were making a ton of money in a volatile nature, it would be stopped to be like, oh, you guys are making too much. The little guy's getting killed. But that's what happened here. And do I think there are phone calls made and things behind closed doors? And if you've seen the show Billion, Steve Cohen even is tied into these companies. I think there was shady stuff that went on. And I think the little guy got screwed for the most part to save billionaires. I and mean, short squeeze has been going on for a very, very long time. This is essentially just a publicly created short squeeze against uh, people who they thought were over leveraged in the market. Correct. So yes. it's, it, it is pretty amazing that they, that they shut it down. I interviewed Vlad. He came on. I think he sees, and that's the CEO of Robinhood. I think he sees me as a conduit to their retail traders and they're trying to go public and all this. So as a way to build trust back up is like, let me talk to Dave. And I'm no expert on a lot of the things he was talking about. I at first thought he was a criminal. I've changed to be he was inadequately prepared and borderline incompetent because the, 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 it was bubbling. Like what was going on with GameStop and AMC? It wasn't something that just you snapped and it happened. It was over the course of a couple days. So to not be ready for it, that, that to me is incompetence. But he brought up a fair point. He's like, we, if we folded, it would have been worse for our clients. Right. There came a point where they were losing money on every single trade because they'd, they'd actually over leverage themselves in order to Correct. fulfill the contract. Correct. Yeah. But I still, no one will ever convince me if the rich guys are benefiting, nobody calls a timeout and says, hold on, we got to make sure that, that I don't believe. So along the same lines, you a Bitcoin guy, not a Bitcoin guy? I'm, I don't own any. So I bought it at 11,000. 
And this, and then I sold it quickly at 11,000 because I just couldn't wrap my brain around it. I had the Winklevoss twins explaining to me what it was. They told me a story that sounded cockamamie to me. It's like Elon Musk is mining gold from outer space. It's gonna rain down. Like, I don't know what's going on here. I'm gonna stick with things I know. The timing of me doing that, it, it went bananas. I mean, the, within a month of me selling it is when this rocket ship happened. It's interesting to me the Bitcoin, the crypto people will taunt me every single day about not being in it. I love the way they handle social media. I think it's hilarious. It's kind of in my vein, making the memes and all this stuff. But currently, I'm not involved. So in a second, I want to ask you about uh, one of the other things that you do. You go around eating pizza yep. at, at different small shops. I want to ask you about that in a second. First, you may have noticed that they are currently blowing out the currency. We are spending more money than God has ever created. We are spending more money than any government in human history. So... Do you think that our nation's economy is going to be insulated from Joe Biden's massive tax increases? I don't think so. There's only one way to protect your savings. Do what over 10,000 other smart investors have done. Convert a portion of your retirement account into gold and silver with Birch Gold. When inflation hits, and it's going to at some point or another, gold and silver are your safe haven. And Birch Gold Group, those are the people I trust to help you convert an IRA or eligible 401k into an IRA backed by gold and silver. Through April 30th on qualifying purchases, when you open a precious metals IRA with Birch Gold, they'll send you a free home safe. Birch Gold, they're the people I buy my gold from. You can trust them as well. Again, you should diversify. Everybody in the stock market will tell you to diversify, but why wouldn't you diversify outside the stock market into some precious metals? Text BEN to 474747 for your free information kit on precious metals IRAs or to speak with the Birch Gold representative today. With 10,000 customers, they have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews. They can help you too. Text BEN to 474747 for your free safe with qualifying purchase. All righty. So let's talk about uh, the, uh, the one-bite pizza. Sure. Thick. So yeah. how, did, how did this begin? So that began, I, I want to say about five years ago, we had a debate in our office. If you could eat one food the rest of your life, what would it be? One of the guys who works for us said burritos. I think his theory was like breakfast burritos. I said pizza, and then we actually did it. So for about a month, I only ate pizza every single meal. And I was eating it so much. I like grease coming on my toes. It was great. But I was eating it so much. People start being like, how is it? And I'm like, all right, I'll just take one bite and give you a quick score. And it just resonated. It was obvious it resonated. So even after the contest ended, I continued to do it. We're at Boston, in Boston at the time. And when I moved to New York, I said, I'll just try every single pizza place in New York. And it, it's one of those things. People still see me in the street, and they'll just think I'm the pizza guy. Like, they don't even know I do anything else. I go, oh, there goes the pizza guy. So it is... Uh, Probably the single most popular thing I do. Although uh, I have to say that uh, I, I did get a kick out of the my co-religionist spotting you on the street, knowing exactly who you were uh, in Fairfax, and, and one of them uh, bar mitzvahing you on the Yeah, he bar mitzvahed me. It was weird timing because he, so that was filmed like weeks before my sex tape was released, <laughs> and he was wrapping like <laughs> leather it's filling, around it's me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a little joke. Yeah. I'm like, this looks like a fetish video. <laughs> it came out the same day, so it was... <laughs> Set me up for some bad, bad jokes. Are you Jewish? I am. Oh, okay. Yeah. So what do your parents think of all this? They haven't talked to me about the most recent sex tape. The first sex tape. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, they, yeah, I mean. Yeah, they, I'm there. Probably better than the bar mitzvah. I figure they're yeah, the first mitzvah. one, they asked me uh, whether, the, my dad, he's like, did you do this on purpose? Are you trying to be like Kim Kardashian? I'm like, are you crazy? Uh, of course not. Um, but, you know, they've come to roll with the punches. I think, like, my dad was the type of guy He'd send me, a, a, if he saw a story on the internet, he'd fax it to me. So he, he was not necessarily the most savvy tech guy, but and it took him a while to realize, hey, this thing is working, Barstool. They're, they're proud, but occasionally sex tape will be collateral damage to having him be successful, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's talk for a second about, you know, what, what does the future look like? Not just for, for Barstool, but for you. So we'll start with Barstool. What do you think Barstool looks like 10 years from now? Which, which ways are you looking to grow here? Yeah, you know, I get asked that all the time, and I'm always reluctant to answer because if you told me TikTok was around like six months ago, I'd be like, you're crazy. So there's so many trends and technology changes so quick. I think one of the things that makes Barstool Barstool is we won't be set in our ways and we'll adapt quick. So what does the world look like in 10 years? I don't know. I have no clue. I know we want to continue to be on brand in the sense of trying to take life not too seriously, um, and that's really what it's for and you know, have some fun and make jokes and things of that nature and eat the big guy's soup who, who take things too seriously. Um, 
for me personally, right now I'm super focused on getting Barstool and, and the gambling stuff going. That is a big part of what was bought. And just continuing to find talent and make Barstool relevant. Um, I think the biggest compliment someone can give Barstool, we've been cutting edge, cool, and relevant for almost two decades. There aren't too many brands who can maintain kind of that, like, yeah, they're edgy vibe, but we have for two decades. So are, are you concerned? I mean, I sort of asked this earlier, but are you concerned that as the culture decides that jokes are forbidden, that that's going to be bad for your business, or you think it's going to provide an opportunity to open wider? Well, I don't know that that's going to continue. You know, Trump broke so many people's brains. I'm curious to see what the next couple of years are like, because I he just had people... Like, everybody who complained about something, we a joke we made, and this isn't 99.9% .9 of the time. This was 100% of the time. If I looked at their Twitter profile, it was political. Underneath what they said about me, it was politics 100% of the time. So maybe that goes away and opens up. The flip side is there is an audience that appreciates, and it's not even left or right. It's kind of both. Like, I like how these guys aren't backing down. Um, and our audience allows us to do that. So people have always asked, why do you fight back or why do you push back or why don't you just shut up when someone takes a shot at you that you feel is unfair? It's like, I'm not going to do that. Like, I, I will never throw the first punch, but if you throw a shot at me on Twitter out of the clouds, it's not my responsibility to protect you. I, I don't feel that way. I haven't felt that way since day one, and I don't feel it now. But that's what all these people do. They'll throw grenades and then they'll cry when you're like, well, we're shooting back now. It's like, why'd you throw the grenade? So, and I've offered, this is, I know it's kind of cliche. I'll talk to anybody. If you have a problem with me, I'll talk to you anytime, anyplace, anywhere. You can bring a hundred people and I'll debate you by myself because I'm confident. Now, are there jokes I've made that I wish I didn't and are perceived differently now? Of course, but I've been doing this for 20 years. So I'll go through point by point by point, everything I've ever said and done. Some I maybe I wish I didn't do that, but I know my character and our intent has always been to make people laugh, period. So you mentioned Trump and obviously Trump has been the political 400 pound gorilla in the room, 800 pound gorilla in the room for, for, for a while here. So what did you make of, of Trump and what was it like interviewing him? That was surreal interviewing him because I've never interviewed anybody before. So, you know, I found out they asked me to do it the day before. It's like, all right, yeah, cool. I'm gonna go to the White House and do it, great. Um, he was super nice to me. Uh, and, you know, I thought there's an element of my personality. And he, got a, he gets attacked so much, probably, that his hackles go out. And almost like what I just said, oh, you're going to attack me? I'm going to be a real jerk back to you. Now, is it always presidential? Probably not. There's things he did that I like, and I think he's so unusual. And then there's things he did where it's like, ugh, that makes it hard for me to support him and, and like the Charlottesville riots when he's like, there's bad people on both sides. To me, it's like, you, that was like the KKK. You got to like say that and be more open to that. I think the way he handled the Capitol was really bad. So there's things he did that are really bad. But again, it's so two-sided on every, like the, the Democrats being like, let's all get along now and you got to support the president. It's like, well, you didn't do that. So why should they do that? So it just sucks. Both sides suck. Um, but he's not a black and white guy, that's for sure. And I do think he, he, he knew what he was doing most of the time. So, you know, if he's going into a state where he thinks he can say things that gets his base behind him, he'll do it. He's not dumb. He's doing it. But does it help unity and things like that? Probably not. So you guys are still located in New York. Is that going to be for the long haul, considering which way New York is going right now? I don't know. I mean, where are we going to go? Massachusetts, I, uh, the, which isn't probably much better, like, tax-wise. So we're an East Coast company. We're an East Coast grind. Like and down here in Florida, man. What are you doing? No, nah, I couldn't take my company here. I'm going to be here, but I got a young company. And to see my guys strolling down South Beach at 4 a.m., like, that, <laughs> we won't have to worry about taxes because we won't be making any money. So we got to find that balance. On the personal level, uh, how old are you now? You're a little... Uh, 44. Okay, so you're 44. So uh, Recently turned. Got it. Okay, so so... I'm recently turned 37. Okay. I have three kids. Yep. Uh, they are they're seven, four, and a baby. Uh, so you got kids in your future, or like I'm not well, gonna be your parents. What what are you doing? Yeah, no, no, no kids right now in the future because I don't have a girlfriend. So I was I was married. So I was married for five years. Dave for five years. She's still actually my best friend. Um, you know, 
I take it day by day. Like, am I, do I wake up and be like, damn, I need kids? No. If I met somebody that's like, oh, this person I want to have kids with, great. But I don't lose sleep over it. And then you, you mentioned that you were Jewish growing up. What's your religious kind of thought now? Do you, do you ever think about it? Or it's uh, I mean, I'm still Jewish. That doesn't change. I got Bob Mitzvah. But I'm not like a practicing Jew. Um, you know, religion, I think, is great if it's used the right way. I think a lot of times over, you know, history, it's been used in a weird way, like how politics is like for power and things like that. It, as basic as it sounds, it's like, be nice. That That is a religion I think everybody should just basically have. I, th I think the widespread perception of you is that you're not not total perception, but there there is this kind of media created perception that like you're the guy who's out of control, that nobody can control you. You like that? You don't like that? Where do you where do you feel? It, it can benefit um, at times, but you know the, the people that it, that's part of the reason we did the deal and sold because you bring in people that bring credibility to it. Um, yeah, I guess I don't mind the. I'm not nearly as wild as people think I am, but that's fine. Uh, I don't give it much thought, I guess. People are going to think what they think. And to be honest, the people who don't like me, I give them $100 and they'll be like, why don't you give me 1000 Like, they're just never going to like me. That's what I was going to ask because you, your company has, you were telling me earlier, like 250 employees. Companies that are run on the seat of the pants don't typically have 250 employees and do hundreds of millions of dollars a year in business. Yeah, and maybe it's not as seat of our pants as I'm making it seem. Like, Eric Anarchini, who our CEO, is brilliant. And we have a lot of really smart people working there. But it, everyone just has a, a similar mindset, not afraid to take chances. And, you know, we haven't changed what's worked. And what's worked is us being truly authentic. Uh, there's been so many stories now. Authentic really, I feel like, became a huge buzzword uh, in, in media the last couple of years. And I always hear stories like someone told me ESPN had a, a meeting on how to be authentic. It's like, well, you already lost. Like, you're having <laughs> a meeting on how to be authentic. We don't do that. We're just ourselves. We don't handle PR differently. Like, I mean, <laughs> we just do things in a different manner. Like, we, have, we do have PR people. They don't even talk to me because when someone asks me about a sex tape or a controversy, I answer honestly. Like, who cares? I had sex. Like, big deal. Um, so that's just who we are. I feel like that is sort of the new wave in business, though, because it, I will say we have a very slim management structure at Daily Wire, too. And one of the things we pride ourselves on is the fact that we can react incredibly quickly, whereas a lot of these bigger companies, it takes a while for them to turn the ship. If they're headed in a particular direction, it's just going to take them forever to steer that ship. And once they're committed to that course, it feels like they, they're kind of they're done. Like, yeah, and there's red tape, and there's people who, you know, jobs may be in the line if you make the wrong decision. Like, we dealt with that all the time, early Barstool. I knew we were way bigger than people thought we were, but traditional advertisers, God forbid something goes wrong. Do you want to be the guy who says, I chose them? The reward wasn't worth the risk for somebody who's working a nine-to-five, and, you know, that's just something they're not interested in. As a business owner, you obviously had a run-in with the NLRB. We were talking about this a little bit earlier. Uh, yeah, I, I have a similar experience with the NLRB where I made uh, a joke about firing employees if they tried to run my company in terms of politics. But you had the same experience, and the NLRB same. went after you. So. Yeah, yeah. I, we, we, there's a company I hate. There's a couple of them. There's a bunch of them. Um, and that's probably why, by the way, people in the company, because they identify super left, and I, they're the worst. Um, absolutely no fun club. And I made fun of them because they basically went bankrupt and all their writers lost their jobs. And they had this great union and we don't have a union and no one wants to leave our company. And I made fun of them like, hey, that union did great for you guys, huh? You all got fired. Um, total joke. And it became an issue. AOC, who sucks, uh, jumped in on this without any knowledge. She was just looking. She used it, I think, as a fundraiser. Like, it, I, she put me in her fundraising letter the next day. Shocking. She did fundraising. I can't. No. No. So, shocking. And, and I know she didn't know anything about what she was talking about. It, it, but it made it a much bigger issue. And then we have people coming at me. It's like, you, you, you don't even. The analogy I use with us a lot of times is going to a comedy show that you don't know who the comedian is. You didn't buy a ticket. You walk in, you hear a joke, you walk out in the street. You're like, you never believe what this guy said without mentioning you were in a comedy club. That's what I feel happens, and that's kind of what AOC did. Um, so, you know, 
I, it wasn't even the whatever they're called. Like they didn't know what was going on either. All these people issued complaints, and once AOC makes it seem like it's a real thing, which it's not, it would be like taking a joke from American Pie and be like, "Oh my God!" So once it became that, they said, "Well, the end result of this was I had to send a letter. Oh no, an email to my company saying I was kidding." Which, by the way, I was. So I didn't care doing it. We're having the same issue, and. Uh... We're probably going to fight it all the way, like well, because because they they basically once I tweeted out that members of my company, I'd be happy to fire them if they if they wished to take the company in a different editorial direction, uh, which is not by the way a unionizable issue. We uh, I issued a tweet saying we follow all of the NLRA, we follow all of the applicable law. NLRB still sent us a letter asking me to take down the original tweet and then apologize for ever having made a joke about this sort of stuff. I'm never going to apologize for it, making it, a joke about this sort of stuff. Are you are you kidding me? Yeah, it's like what you said. Like I. I you know, I didn't take a vacation day for 10 years. Like, I worked my ass off for Barstool. I really did. And, you know, I hired people. I put my own money back into it, risk it, hire people. We have a great thing, but it's like, now you're going to tell me what I have to do on a talent business, by the way. I always said that, that we're talking about people who, if you don't think you're making enough money with me and you're talented, then you can just not resign with me. And if you're as talented as you think you are and you're being underpaid, somebody else will pay you. If somebody else won't pay you, you're probably getting what you deserve or maybe more with me. So like you don't need a union for what we're doing. Um, but it, it was more, I was just making fun of this company I hated. And what do you think is the future of sports? Because what we've seen over the past few years is the viewership on sports is just hitting the skids. I mean, it's really, really bad, except for you know, maybe MMA, which continues to do really, really well. I think in part because Dana White runs his company kind of like you run your company right. or I run my company. He's just like, you know, this is my company. I'm doing exactly whatever the hell I want. And if sure. you don't like it, you can shove it. But all these other big kind of sporting conglomerates, NFL, NBA, MLB, they seemed like they were in growth mode, some of them, NFL and NBA particularly, five years ago. But it seems like now they are running into some real headwinds. What, what do you think is the future of sports here? It's hard to say, you know, I, I, and it's hard to actually, in my mind, pull out necessarily what's happening. Like e-gaming, for example. People grow up. The kids nowadays are doing different things. Like I used to go play wiffle ball and baseball every day. Now people are playing video games, and that's a world that's exploring. TikTok and things like that. The kids, <laughs> they're making videos of dancing in front of mirrors. They're not doing traditional things. And I think that effect plays out on ratings and things like that. I really don't know. I, I, I mean, I think the sports will be around. Football's got a little bit of probably an issue with, like, not only whether it be political stuff, but actual, like, concussions and things of that nature and taking hitting out of the game. I don't know. I think, I think it really varies sport to sport, but I couldn't imagine a world where they're not here. Let's say you have 100 bucks, you got to put it on a sport, and this is the sport that's the growth sport for the next 10, 15 years. Which one do you put it on? NBA. I think they have the best commissioner. The NBA... Uh, obviously, like a lot of other sports, they took a hit over the last year. It got very, very political. And yep. now, obviously, there are a lot of critics, people like me. I'm very critical of the NBA. I make yep. no bones about this. You know, you got major players in the NBA who are spending, you know, all day talking about the, how, how much America is a, a systemically racist country while pulling down $50 million a year. We're talking about wage differentials while women in the NBA are making 215 grand a year and they're making $49 million Listen, a year. there's hype. I, I mean, hypocritical LeBron's like the all-time with like their, and their stances on China and what goes on. So I agree with that. But I think they got the best commissioner, and I think they're most uh, internet savvy. Okay, that would be why I'd pick them. What do you think the Celtics are going to do in the playoffs this year? May as well ask you that. Uh, I, I think they could get hot. We looked before the show, you and I. There's about four or five teams cramped for that seven or eight. I don't think there's any beast in the like the Sixers are one. Brooklyn could be a problem. You don't know what happens if Durant's healthy and Kyrie like isn't having mental issues. Um, They'd probably be my favorite if they're healthy, but I think they can make a run. So you're in the cultural space. It seems like there's, uh, you're oddly enough, this very culturally unifying figure. We mentioned right at the very top, there are a lot of people sort of across the spectrum who love Barstool, who love what you're doing, uh, but it feels politically, from where I sit, because that's what I do every day, that the, sure. com the country's falling apart. It feels like people are polarizing, like they don't get along. Uh, you represent the sort of vast middle. Which direction do you think is going to win out? Do you think it's going to be, you know, the, that the country falls apart, or do you think that there is this center that is going to hold or just people too apathetic? I think the center will hold. I, I just think there's too many people who get along um, than don't. There's more that unites us than doesn't. And one of the things people always mention is uh, 
I don't know that anyone else does it better. I don't think so. So it, it's very easy here to criticize, and there's no doubt there's problems. There's problems in every country. But then you're like, all right, go pick where you want to go. Like, what other country do you want to go to that is this utopia that you think exists? Because it doesn't. Um, so I think the center will hold. I don't think it would be good if Trump ran for president again, because I think he is, like, I think the Republicans can find people who unite the country if you're a Republican. You can get a lot of things you want done without somebody that, whether he's right or wrong, he's going to divide again. But so I hope that doesn't happen, to be totally honest. Okay, I want to ask a few uh, final questions here, starting with you're giving advice to somebody who's about to start a business. What are the, the key pieces of advice? But if you'd like to hear Dave Portnoy's answers, you have to be a Daily Wire member. Head on over to dailywire.com, click subscribe. You can hear the rest of our conversation over there. Everybody, go take a look at the Barstool shows. There are a bunch. There's bound to be one for you. Plus, download that Barstool Sportsbook app. Go check out the Barstool Fund. They're supporting small businesses right now. They're awesome. Dave, thank you so much for stopping by. That was fun. The Ben Shapiro Show Sunday special is produced by Mathis Glover. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens, and our assistant director is Pavel Wydowski. Our guests are booked by Caitlin Maynard. Editing is by Jim Nichol. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Fabiola Cristina. Title graphics are by Cynthia Angulo. The Ben Shapiro Show Sunday special is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values, and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick-charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.